Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Are you sick of it yet? Judges again? Yes. There's only ten. Someone's excited. Thank you. Uh, there's there's ten, ju- ten, and I only get to cover four, but I, I chose the four of the biggies. Uh, I think that's good. I'm going to choose today, uh, we're going to talk about the most famous of the judges, Samson. Don't we love long-haired men? Amen. Amen. Yes, yes. I looked for it, but I could not find it. But somewhere in the library are the old yearbooks of Concordia University. And if you go and seek it, you may find me in long hair and a dress and some pantyhose, but I did not wear heels that day. Uh, somehow it made it into the yearbook. We, we were fascinated with long-haired people. Right? Jesus, right? Did Jesus have long hair? I mean, we always think that, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. We don't want to like have a love affair with Jesus. It gets a little creepy. We love these long-haired people. Samson is no uh, exception. Do you know anything else about Samson? Was a, uh, yeah, you got to yell it out. She's strong. He's strong, right? We, we love long-haired, strong men. Yes, 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 yes. What else do we know about Samson? He was, he was dumb? Okay, yeah. So we love long-haired, strong, dumb men, right? Oh, you said Delilah. Okay, but I think that plays into it because Delilah... What would we say is Delilah? Delilah is creepy, uh, yeah, witty, smart, manipulative... Woo! Oh, wait, someone else, I think, yelled out something that I, was, that I want to talk about. What? He liked women, yes. I, out of curiosity, Delilah, do you know that Delilah was not his first wife? No, his, he had another wife. Uh, we don't even know her name. She's a fantastic woman. He goes, marries this woman during a seven-day feast. Uh, he throws a riddle out to the people, and it stumps them. And so the men of the city go to the wife and say, hey, what are you trying to do? So she goes and convinces Samson to tell her the secret of the riddle. Huh. Sounds like other strategies that other women have used with this particular gentleman. Sure enough, it works. He tells her. She says it. Samson fires back with this incredible indictment against the men, saying, well, someone's been plowing with my heifer, apparently, which was not an indictment upon her and any size or girth she had, but... Yeah, they were plowing with her heifer, so uh, he gets really upset, leaves. Uh, wife is then married off to another guy who is part of the bridal party. This is like a soap opera. I love it. And then later on comes back and says, I'd love to have my wife back. The dad said, sorry, not available. What about younger sister? Okay, that's now getting even creepier. He gets upset, grabs foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in it, burns the entire place down. The men of the city come to the guy, the dad and the daughter, Samson's wife, and says, what happened here? They're like, oh, it was Samson. And they're like, okay, fine. And so they killed him. And then later on, Samson finds himself in a a brothel. He goes out, specifically travels many miles into the Philistine area so so he can have sex with a hooker. How do you like this guy so far? You know, it's interesting. Samson is one of those characters that we often talk about uh, we, we try to find redeeming qualities about him. I was reading about some people who believed 
that Samson was a type of Christ. And they're like, well, he was, uh, you know, his birth was announced by an angel. It was a miraculous birth. You can read that in uh, Judges uh, 16. Um, it, very interesting on some of the parallels. His death is a sacrifice that he makes in order to defeat the enemy. But uh, after reading all of the story of Samson, I come to find out that I don't know if I really like this guy. I don't. I would be very wary about comparing Samson to Jesus. Now, I know that this is what we like to do. We read stories, we read about these heroes, these judges, and we say there's got to be something that we can emulate. That's what we're always trying to do. But I think we sometimes take it too far. We do it with other characters as well. The disciples, they were a train wreck. These were the most idiotic men on the planet. I think that's why Jesus chose them. He didn't get the 12 brightest bulbs in the pack. He got the people that were one fry short of a happy meal and said, you're going to be my disciples. Isn't it? Who are my education teachers? Where are the education? Well, you're going to be an educator. Now, do you know that one of the things that you do in terms of if you have unruly people in your classroom, what's the best trick to make them unruly? Just get close to them. Right? Like, like if I wanted to settle people down, I'd just cozy. I think that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. Grab the 12 guys that are the 12 biggest train wrecks. Keep them as close as possible to Jesus because they're always simply messing up. We do that with other characters. Esther. Oh, man. Do you, do you, do you understand the story of Esther. She, she lost her virginity to a pagan king in a one-night sex competition. And we're like, little girls, be like Esther. No, don't be like Esther. No. And through the sex competition, she also hid her faith in order to get further in the competition. What if we had that as one of a reality TV show? Millionaire guy searching for the perfect wife. He gets all these girls and we find out that they're going to spend one night with this guy to do whatever you want. And at the end of it, uh, you find out that not only was it this weird competition, but all of these girls, it was their very first time. So she must have impressed him somehow. And then you come to find out that what if the winner of this competition was a Christian. Is this someone we should be emulating? I don't think so. This is the problem I have with Samson. I have, I wanted to read to you the last part. This is Samson's death. Maybe it's the most redeeming part of the Samson story. At the end of this, you know the Delilah story? Um, Delilah is like, hey, why are you so strong? And he's like, I work out. Now, (laughs) I'm going to say something. I do not believe that Samson had bulging muscles. I don't. And here's the reason why. Because the Philistines, they come to him and they're like, Delilah, why is he so strong? If if it was obvious, you'd be like, he works out. Don't you see? He's obviously a small, wimpy person. I think he may even have like a physique like mine. Like, oh, not quite too impressive. What makes him so strong? I think that's what happened with Delilah and Samson. And finally, Delilah like, tell me why you're so strong. He's like, okay, baby. If you tie me up with seven bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak as any human being like Mark Manning. And so they, so that, that night, 
She didn't even wait. That evening ties him up with seven bowstrings. And then there are men hiding out in the room. <laughs> Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And he gets up and he's all. <laughs> and you know what? What would you do if you were Samson? I would go into marriage counseling. Too sweet. But what does he do? He's like, baby, what happened? She's like, you lied to me. Excuse me, you're trying to kill me? And uh, then the next thing, well, if you tie me with seven cords that have not been tied, but which was a trick that actually he used in a previous thing, same thing that night. Then put my hair in a loom, and if you do that with a pin, then and then he gets up and he's like, like the Hulk. So he's not too bright. He's not good with the ladies. I don't think he's physically strong. I think he's got the power of God with him. Who is this guy and what is... So now he finally got tricked by Delilah after weeks and weeks of being pestered by him, by her. Uh, he finally gives in. Philistines come in. First thing to do, gouge out his eyes, cut his hair, off he goes. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. The people saw them, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slaves. While they were in high spirits, I always love that phrase, it's a double entendre, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. I don't know what other special skill he had, maybe he could juggle. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Man, it's like a prince concert. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord. This, the, I, I was reading through the story, so I'm like, this is it. Samson gets to the end of his life and he realizes the error of his ways, the self-centeredness of his life, the ego that he had constantly had. And this is it. We're finally going to see Samson's redemption. So Samson begins to pray. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Oh, oh, I'm like Jesus. Oh, God, Please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. (laughs) So his final prayer is about revenge. Last time I checked, God said we shouldn't be doing the revenge thing, right? So the last words that Samson utters is one of the most selfish prayers in the Bible. God grants it. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillows on which the temple stood, bracing himself against him, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Wait, no honor, no glory to God, no for God and country. No, I want to kill these people. (laughs) Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Uh, yeah, uh, selfish prayers are always an interesting thing. We're, I think prob- 
Yeah. Many of our prayers are selfish prayers. I've prayed lots of selfish prayers. Years ago, my grandmother, 99 years old, uh, was nearing death. Uh, I love my grandmother, just a pillar of faith, just amazingly righteous woman. Uh, loved her with all my heart. She's getting near death, and it's three months until her 100th birthday. So do you want to know what I prayed? Dear Lord, let her live to be 100 so that some dude on Channel 4 can put her on a fake Smucker's jar. For a year, my grandmother had been saying, why am I here? I'm ready to go be with my Lord and Savior. God, I know my grandmother wants to go and be with you forever and live in eternity, but can you keep her here in her miserable, frail body that she doesn't want to be in anymore just so that she can be 100 years old? Great. So what did we do with Samson? His selfish prayer, his egocentric attitude. Why is he listed in this book? Why is he listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as a person with faith? Because everything I've seen in it is that it is just the opposite. When we encounter characters like this, when we encounter probably any character, our tendency first is to, to go for the emulation. What do we learn from this person so that we might be like them? And I would say that that is not the prime purpose of people being listed in the Bible. The prime purpose of people being listed in the Bible is to highlight their utter depravity and unredeemability so that it could be put next to a God who is filled with such grace that he would dare even answer a selfish prayer like Samson's. When I take a look through scripture and see Esther and Noah, the drunk, and David, the killer and fornicator, when I see Samson, I'm reminded of how good my God is. How thankful I am that the scriptures are not whitewashed to show this perfect sort of society of people following after God, because I don't know about you, that's not my experience. When I look around at the people of God, present company excluded, I see a bunch of miserable sinners. I like to tell my church, look at the person on your right and look, God, good, look at the people around you. Those people are rotten. They are nasty. They look like they have their stuff together, right? They're like, oh, look at me. I'm so perfect. No, they're not. They're faking it because their lives are miserable, filled with sin, filled with an inability to honor God. And yet in every single one of your cases and mine and Samson and Ruth and Esther and David and the disciples, we see a God who's gracious and merciful and loving. So the next time you start comparing yourself to other people, there's only one to compare to, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we miserably fall to our knees saying, God, be merciful to me. Forgive me. And Jesus says, yes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this fantastic time to be uh, uh, studying your word. Challenges. Samson. Ah! And you, uh, you honored his prayer somewhere in that callous heart of his 
resided a seed of faith that is mentioned in Hebrews 11. We know for a fact that if you can love and honor a train wreck like him, then your grace can be poured out into our lives as well. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have failed to do what you have asked, when we have lived our life not in honor of you, but in honor of ourselves in an egocentric way. Give us now your faith, your forgiveness, your grace, all because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray.